Hello and welcome to Terrifying Robot Dog. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Kelly Shaver. And we're here to talk about how technology is changing the way we interact with the world. This week, deepfakes follow up. We predict the future again. <laughs> Please stay tuned. Terrifying Robot Dog is next. We're in. We actually do a tiny bit of research before recording an episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, in our defense, the okay, so so yeah, the ba- article came out like a day after. Yeah, right. So last time around, um, by the way, happy Thanksgiving to folks who are in the U.S. We we had a week mm. off for Thanksgiving. We did. And uh, so, the, so two weeks ago, the episode was centered on uh, a fairly common theme on the show, which is. How are you going to trust anything? How are you going to trust your lion eyes if you get all your news online and people uh, and video is the most credible source? It's the most persuasive. It's the uh, it's it's the thing that people will believe most quickly. I suppose it's the most powerful. You know, if a picture is worth a thousand words, a video is worth a thousand pictures. So and and it had previously been the most difficult to. Yeah, doctor exactly and the focus of the episode was basically around what happens in the gap of time between when people trust videos and people stop trusting videos where people kind of stop trusting photos like ah, it's photoshop like something being photoshopped is a is a term in popular culture but right, like photoshopped has become a verb <laughs> yep and i love that deep fakes i love that we have a word for this i love that deep fakes is part of the vernacular is becoming part of the vernacular um it's so great. It's like a really clear word. It's it's easy to remember. It says what it is basically, and it, we've got. It's basically this problem has a brand, and that brand is deepfakes, which is great. <laughs> and I love that it was like a, a person's username, which is hilarious. So okay, so we talked about that, and and at one point posited we were sort of trying to casting about looking for ways that this could that authenticity of a particular video or even a photo, but a video could be somehow ascertained in a decentralized trust-based Reasonably system. efficient. Yeah. yeah. And of course, with, I, I think it was me, but it was, it was like, oh, maybe blockchain, <laughs> you know, like every time a video is edited, it's added to the blockchain or a blockchain. And that becomes, that becomes the new thing that's really hard to fake because it always mm-hmm. uh, kind of boils down to, we need something that's really hard to fake and faking a block on the blockchain is really hard. So perhaps that's, you know, a solution. But I I mean, we were kidding, but so sure enough, literally hang up the phone and do a search. I mean, I I think I was searching for links to the article that uh, we talked about, or one of the articles we talked about. And this other one popped up that included a section on a company called TruePick and another one called Saralay that use blockchain to authenticate photos. (laughs) (laughs) Like, come on. Uh, come on. You're, you're getting good at this predicting the future thing. Rest in peace, Casey Kasem. Um, <laughs> Sorry about that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like talk done about... this a few times now. <laughs> truth imitating fiction or whatever, or whatever, however that saying goes. Yeah. So, okay. So, the, 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 and the article in question is optimistically entitled how the wall street journal is preparing its journalists to detect deep fakes. So that's great. That's like exactly what we were worried about in the episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's cool. So, you know, what do they say? We've, we've seen this rapid rise in deep learning technology. And the question is, is that going to keep going or is it plateauing? What's going to happen next? And there, um, uh, this is actually a pretty good article about, 
uh, how they're created. It's kind of like a good overview or primer of like uh, how they're created, what the different techniques are, because there, there's, it's, it's easy to be like, oh, any video can be faked in any way, but it's really not that way yet anyway. Yeah. There yeah. Are things like uh, face swapping, where you can seamlessly insert the face of a person onto a target video. So that's basically like you take, it's kind of like replacing someone's head in a Photoshop image. So you'd have an actor that did, you know, whatever, acted something out, and then you take like whatever, some famous person's face and you you overlay it there. So it's real, you know, like decapitate <laughs> one, one image <laughs> and, and stick it into a new image, but we're talking video now. Uh, then there's lip sync where you, the, the forger, can graft like a lip syncing mouth onto someone else's face like uh, uh, what is it called irritating orange or angry orange or whatever that thing is yeah <laughs> i think it's angry orange yeah yeah i'd never seen it but yeah other than just yeah yeah so that's not super realistic but uh so there's this lip sync thing and then there's the facial reenactment which i think uh, th- that's the one that's really crazy so it, it's where you take you transfer facial expressions from one person into another video. So now these get are, into like some three D modeling and stuff. Is right, this? right. You know, like I've seen Cooper doing this with um, animations, where he started to get into three D stuff. There's this application called Blender that mm-hmm. allows you to rig characters, and uh, and in this article, there's some examples of of taking a source video. Which is really so that really I don't think I think the way it works is they break the video into the component frames, and they get like a ton, just a ton of images. And as the person's head is moving around in the image, the background, of course, is staying static. It's not moving, so like there be whatever curtains behind the person. And mm-hmm. as they move their head around, the uh, the software can construct a background image as if the person's head wasn't there, or enough of the background. So that it, the, the pieces that are missing in any given frame can be reconstructed. So it's a more complete version of the background. And then it locks on to uh, the eyes and bones and the structure of the face and can imitate stuff that never happened in any of the frames. Like the, it, it, it's, uh, it's hard to, dis- I mean, the, the best way to describe it is like watching someone creating a 3D character animation where the you know it's kind of the same i mean it's all just pixels yeah, and it comes yeah, right it's, down it's to like it. doing motion it's like doing motion capture without the fancy suit exactly right and and with a different set of pixels so like mm-hmm. in cooper's case he'll get like uh you know very cartoony looking Bar, you know bart simpson type of look but the 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 computer the software understands the head in three dimensions and can you know, construct the angles that need to be constructed when you're just controlling like, oh, you just basically like slide the mouse to turn the person's head and it just constructs the angles in a way that are believable. So it's really normal to see this with cartoons, but when you see it, when the source image is not cartoon-like and it's actual person, like, I don't know, let's say, uh, I can't think of anyone famous, (laughs) Kim Kardashian. (laughs) So you just like, you can, uh, now you've got control over her what what looks like a real photographic likeness in a cartoon type way so then the trick is like okay now we can manipulate the 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 whole head and face and facial expressions just like you would a cartoon which is actually not that hard and and the question really is like okay 
how do we do a convincing voiceover and how, you know, in convincing series of facial expressions and as the head's moving around. So, and I've seen Cooper go through tutorials to do this in, inside of his cartoon programs. You can use your webcam to look at, to watch your face and read, you know, your eyebrows going up and your eyebrows going down, your eyes blinking, your, the, your mouth movements. And you could say some stuff and then transfer all that motion to the face and expressions and head movements of Kim Kardashian. So you still have the problem of like, where do I get Kim Kardashian's voice? How would I say something that's convincing? How would I phrase it in a way that would sound like her? So now you need a Kim Kardashian impersonator to act Mm -hmm. out the part. But, you know, it's not hard to imagine that, first of all, it's not hard to imagine someone setting that up, you know, getting an impersonator to act something out. Right. But it's also not impossible to imagine those aspects being, uh, becoming fakeable. You know, where you type in like <laughs> Mongo is web scale type of, uh, you know, you, you put in a script and you put in a whole bunch of Kim Kardashian talking and you're like, you know, you say to the, you say to the AI, you figure it out. Here's what I want her to say. How would she say it? And what would it sound like? The same way you're like, what expression would she make in a situation like this? And you're like, well, you already figured that out. So, Anyway, so we've talked about this before. It's like super wild, and and the the and there's even other techniques they show. Like uh, they take a source video of um, Bruno Mars, okay, and he's doing this dance, and the software converts it into a rigged. You know, it it basically creates a skeleton, right. and then you take a picture of yourself and you apply the move Bruno Mars's movements to your body, and all of a sudden, boom! Here's a video of me dancing like Bruno Mars, which, as everyone knows, I can do anyway. But just in case you can't. We've all seen it through your hacked webcam. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, um, Okay, so the point of the article is that the Wall Street Journal is on it. We are on it. We know deep fakes exist and we understand. They have a plan. (laughs) Yes, they do. They understand the threat to truth and journalism and the American way and all those things. And parts of their plan are better than other parts of their plan. Yeah. Yeah, it does. It does kind of undermine the credibility of the article when they're like, "You can check the metadata of the file." Right, see. because no one ever, no one who, no one who's into video editing and editing enough to want to realistically fake a video has ever thought about not changing the metadata. <laughs> they're so it's precious, so cute when they're puppies. <laughs> so you know the one of the. This doesn't really solve the trust gap, like, oh, people still trust video, but they're not trustworthy. But, you know, the first thing they say is like, look, old school, this has always been a problem. This has always been a problem. People tell us stories and we need to verify that they're true. And, you know, the video is just another way of telling a story. Mm -hmm. So if the journalist, right, so if the journalist starts out with the notion that everything's false until proven to be true or at least confirmed, then you can get a video and if, as long as the journalist doesn't believe their eyes, then they're not going to just run with it, hope, fingers crossed, as juicy as it might be. They're going to mm-hmm. actually confirm. And, you know, and supposedly if Kim Kardashian is supposedly in this video, then and it's, uh, and it's a fake until proven true type of situation. You know, you'd think a, a big news outlet would do things like reach out to her agent. Or, Precisely. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm not I'm not. So, yeah, I'm. I mean, I think having a healthy amount of skepticism as a journalist goes a long way towards solving that problem when we are talking about things like big media outlets. But how often does, 
you know, how often does somebody's small, tiny video end up going viral? And like if you or I made a fake video and put it up there or had a video that we that was sent to us, we couldn't like email Kim Kardashian and say, hey, is this you? <laughs> right, right. We would obviously just post it. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. We'd, we'd do it for the likes and the views and the ad revenue. Yeah, right. And the, it's tricky because, you know, this gets into, you know, I've mentioned a million times, I'm from a newspaper family. And the, the trouble or was certainly a major problem with newspapers once they were on the Internet is the business model. Mm-hmm. And if the, if, the, if the business model is ad revenue, then traffic is currency. And there's a, there is a strong financial motivation to generate traffic. Yep. And to do what's going to generate the traffic. Yes. And to do what's going to generate traffic is not necessarily always in the best interest of journalistic principles because right. it, you know, it might mean, it might mean, you know, this video is fake, but you post it anyway because it's to get you 4 million views. And then you release a follow up the next day that says, Oh, sorry, we made a mistake. Yeah. Or, or the first one is like, this is an unconfirmed video, but check it out. Mm-hmm. It's so yeah. juicy, yeah. you know? And the, the question about like, you know, clearly that's going to over time, that's going to do damage to their, their brand. But you know, it's a, uh, it's a constant temptation. And you know, when your job's yeah, on the are, line and your, your salary's on the line, you might not make the right choice. Right. And there are a lot of smaller organizations that they maybe don't have, they don't have a strong brand to, to really back them up. Like it doesn't matter to them if their brand gets damaged because no one knows about their brand to begin with. Right. It's nothing they'll to just, lose. They'll just, um, yeah, they'll just move on to something else. Mm. Well, I, I kind of, I'm kind of, I don't know if it's, um, it's hard to tell if it's a real trend or if it's just large media outlets reporting this because it's in their best interest. It's kind of hard to tell. But it seems like the big outlets, the well-named, the well-known names like Washington Post and New York Times and Wall Street Journal and Financial Times are having some success with paywall. Like they're actually making serious revenue off the paywall. Mm-hmm. And one it's uh, this is tricky a little bit i guess it's a little tricky but it's like if you value if you value the truth in journalism you they need they need to change the business model and if we want that we need to to you know pay for it basically <laughs> right? right it's like right and your your whole reason for paying for a subscription to financial times is that you trust the source and you appreciate the quality of the articles trust is a, a big factor in paying for that subscription right and that's where and so i think you know classic uh effect on a particular market of the internet which i feel like it's been around long enough that we can say a word like classic is that it destroys the middle of the market so the only the only very very bottom and bottom feeders and the super premium top tier brands that's what ends up getting left so the cheapest and the most expensive are the ones that end up getting left and operating in the middle Mm -hmm. is just a, a no man's land. So brands that haven't just, so like, you know, brands I mentioned like that, like trusted news outlets, perhaps not trusted by everyone, but certainly trusted by a lot of people. They could theoretically, this might just be the pendulum swinging back. Hopefully it is. Honestly. I mean, I pay for the yeah. FT and I'm getting ready to pay. I, I'm like, geez, I mean, the, pro- the times is my favorite. That's the problem, but I'd like to support them. Like the New York times. I might just, mm-hmm. I don't know. But, you know, why not, right? It's not that expensive. 
And it's certainly one of the ones I, you know, anyway, it doesn't matter my particular politics yeah. <laughs> aside. It could be, it could be any of them, like whatever it is. But anything that's ad supported is suspect to me. It's kind of one of those, like you kind of become the product, but that analogy doesn't work. So you can just edit it out and forget I mentioned it. But you know what I'm trying, but you know what I mean. Right. Well, you're, you're, uh, you're, I mean, financial incentives are super important because it turns out if you stop mm-hmm. paying people, they stop showing up to work. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they don't, they don't keep showing up just for fun. Yeah. I mean, I love my job, but if, if they said tomorrow, we're not going to pay you to do it anymore, then I, I'm, <laughs> because I love them so much, I might stick around for two weeks to hand it off to someone else. But after that, I'd be out. Impressive. Very nice. Yeah. You have other things you like doing better for free. Yeah. So if I'm going to not, if I'm going to not get paid, I'm going to like watch videos and build stuff. Right. Right. So the, <sighs> So the P obviously people need to get paid. Okay. If we, you know, if we value this stuff, you need to pay people to do it. Right. Mm-hmm. Duh. Right. And using an ad supported model is, it's hard to think of something that's more directly counter, I guess, I guess, um, paid. Yeah. There's, yeah, I can think of some worse things like, like paid editorial and uh, things like that. But, you know, and tons of brands like, you know, Forbes does that. And the Economist does that. Maybe the, I don't think I don't know of a New York Times or a um, uh, Wall Street Journal sub brand that does that, but they might exist. The point is, like, if you, if you just got to pay for it directly, because if you're not, then they're just selling your eyeballs away. And in a sense, well, no, you're right. Actually, you are the product because they're they're selling your eyeballs to Toyota, so yeah. they, so another Camry can be born into the world. Okay, thank you for framing that in the way that I meant but couldn't articulate because I've had a migraine for the last 14 hours. So. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. So anyway, uh, back to the, the point, I guess, is that some, you know, if, you know, in the deep fake point, when a video comes out, basically it just needs to be, it needs to be verified or ignored, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, or perhaps, you know, let's say, let's say you're the trusted source. Let's say it's, Financial Times. I feel like that one's pretty, pretty neutral. Let's say it's the Financial Times and they become the trusted source and like this Kim Kardashian video comes out and, and everybody's like, it's going viral and everybody's going gaga. And they're like, you know, it's for them. They still have a story, which is that like, you know, nobody's verified this. Like we'll, we'll Mm -hmm. talk about it. And maybe here's even a link to the video, but this is not verified. This could easily be fake. And then they could do an article on a whole article on deep fakes. Do it in that context. Hmm. Right. Uh, I think it's pretty, you know, whatever, not to do journalist job, but it's, it's also pretty important to get that into the headline because a lot of times that's all people read, but, Mm -hmm. uh, but it does sort of like the, the, what I'm trying to, what I'm slowly working my way around to (laughs) is that old school journalism still could kind of work if you take out, if, if we could just get rid of the ad part, you know, if if traffic didn't matter. Mm Mm-hmm. And there, and people were just directly paying for good journalism, like news they could trust. That like, you, like, like the same. You went down to the supermarket and put your two quarters in the newspaper machine. Mm-hmm. Right, and those had ads for sure. They did. But I think that I think that model, and even then, it was there was there's you know, it was it was a topic of conversation, like newsrooms were physically separated from the sales department. It was 
pretty, mm-hmm. it was pretty common to do this. They made a big deal out of it. I still think that I, I still never, never mind. Think I still know that there was some cross pollination. Like, oh, what do you know? Um, uh, heard Toyota won the best car dealership competition again this year. Imagine that, you know, or yeah. whatever. Some like some. Here, pe- look at this Toyota ad. Yeah, the lifestyle section was was probably the the DMZ between editorial and uh, advertising. But anyway. Imagine though, you know, there even there are medical journals and uh, you know professional journals that are purely paid, not ad supported mm-hmm. at all. Or what's the mm-hmm. cooking one that Erica used to get? Um, oh, I can't think of it. Um, Christopher, oh, I'm sure listeners are screaming at me. Uh, they were in Vermont. It doesn't matter, but but it was it was a uh, cooking periodical that had a lot of recipes, a lot of product reviews. Uh, and, and you, and it was expensive. It was like $45 an issue, mm-hmm. but you trusted it. Like they were not, I mean, they're doing reviews of stuff. If those same companies were advertising, you're going to trust it. Mm, maybe not as much. Yeah. But what yeah, that meant was you had to spend 45 bucks for one, one issue, which is obviously a lot. So they didn't need the advertising revenue. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. But it, and it, and guess what? It made a much nicer magazine because it wasn't chock full of ugly ads. Not that they're all ugly, but you know what I mean? It was like... Yeah, like uh, the entire magazine was useful to you. <laughs> mm, yeah, right. So I guess you're getting more for your money anyway, because in a 100-page magazine, it was 100% content. Yeah. I will say there is one big advantage to the um, the online advertising versus the print ads, though. And that is that is um, the distinct lack of perfume samples. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, until my until she who must, must not be named can like puff out a little whiff of some scent. Oh my god! Don't even say that out loud. <laughs> that would be horrible. Ugh! <laughs> uh, I can't even now. I can't. I can't unhear that. You just predicted the future again. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's less likely to come true if I say it than it is if you say it. It turns out. I think uh, statistically, you're you're better. You have better. Better stats than I do at this point. I don't know. I think it's because I just make more predictions. You forget the ones that were dumb. Could be too. But yeah, it's very easy to imagine like, Alexa, what does celery smell like? (laughs) (laughs) Oh. I'm not sure. Oh, she's not sure currently. Currently doesn't know. Right. (laughs) One day she will. Be awesome if she said, it smells like celery. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Okay, so, so I was very excited to come across evidence of a paper like uh, the Wall Street Journal already worrying about this and taking st- yeah. actually taking steps. Being proactive about it. Mm-hmm. And they said some things like, you know, like we said, checking the metadata, that's comical. But, um, you know, traditional journalists, journalistic practices, I, I think still stand up to a certain regard, to a certain to a certain extent. If and more so if you take out the ad model, because then traffic mm-hmm. doesn't matter as much. Uh, another, they had a couple of other interesting ones though, which was uh, finding using like Tin Eye or Google Image Search to look for uh, a different source. Because yeah, because if somebody is oh, that's interesting. Yeah, because probably someone's pulling it from something they found online anyway. Mm-hmm. Like somebody doesn't have like a you know like probably doesn't have a personally taken video of Kim Kardashian. So if they're going to fake something, they're going to take it from online. So if you do a, uh, you can do a reverse image search and be like, oh, wait a second. 
here's a video that looks a real lot like that one or hmm, same outfit, same hairdo, same background, mm-hmm. but saying a different thing. And then it starts to be like, huh? Yeah, I can see this becoming a service like all of those services that college professors pay for to check for plagiarism. Right. Yes. Right, right, right. Oh, I love it. I love it when there's like an old model to to like point to and be, oh, it's like that, but for video or it's like that, but for fi- pictures. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's some really, I, I guess it's fairly obvious stuff, but, and I suppose this will go away over time, but when you look, when you stop on a particular frame and zoom in and stuff there, there, it's still pretty common to see really obvious uh, artifacts from kind of like the air quotes, photoshopping process mm-hmm. where things are just clearly not not realistic. Like that was not there. Like shadows going the wrong direction from the rest of the video, things like that. So, but man, it's, it's, it's wild. Like even Adobe is, has got, is building tools into stuff to do exactly this. Yeah. To like, Oh, you took a video of, you know, whatever your kids at the beach, but there happened to be like an electrical wire in the frame and it looks super ugly. Well, just take it out. Magic. I was I was gonna say three hundred pound guy in a speedo, but <laughs> I have actually seen that demo too. There's a demo of just like that where where there's like the you know like a woman who's in the center of the frame and is like in the mm-hmm. water. She's partially in the water, and there's all these people in the background, and like magic wand, boom! People in the background gone or gone, and really complex background, like you know moving water type stuff. It's like oh wow. Wow. So anyway, this is, this is sort of, this made me feel a little bit more optimistic that at least, uh, this sort of, you know, I'm trying not to make a, try not to make a political <laughs> joke here. I was going to say the, the fake news or liberal, uh, elite media, but it's just nice to, to see that they're, you know, paying conscious attention it. to it. Yeah, yeah. They're conscious of it. They're like, this is a, ma- this is a major problem. Like they recognize that it's a major problem. So, yeah, it's cool to see that they're taking actions, some maybe better than others, but at least they've got this healthy skepticism around videos that might come pouring into their inbox. So that's good. Also blockchain. Also blockchain. So, okay, small tangent before we wrap up, okay. I suppose. I think we've probably beat okay. this to death. But I just watched, and people should check this out. Um, there's a gentleman named Benedict Evans who works at uh, A16Z, which is a big Silicon Valley venture capitalist firm. Mm-hmm. And he, uh, I basically agree with everything he says. It's very rare for him to say something that I think is wrong. So you can pretty much, pretty much my stamp, I put my, if, to the extent that you trust me about anything, you can take my stamp of tr- approval on his stuff. And he just did a really big presentation about, what he called it the end of the beginning and talks, makes a really compelling case for, you know, he says like, Eh, you know, if you look at uh, Google and Facebook and, you know, they're ad supported and you could say a lot of people are saying like, well, you know, the 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 global ad spend is they're basically taking the lion's share of it. So there's really not that much room for them to grow anymore uh, because they sell ads and they've already got most of the budget. So they're basically almost done and they're going to plateau. And but so he turns around, and he says, like, well, OK, you know, they it's so jam packed with information. It's hard to even synthesize it to something reasonable. People, you should definitely go watch it. If you're curious about mm. like the few, the next 20 years. Yeah. It's a good point though. They're already getting all the ad revenue. Where are they going to go? Right. So, and he makes a compelling case that 
the next 20 years is going to be people using the internet to do the next stuff. So like we did the, all the easy low hanging fruit stuff in the last 20 years, mm-hmm. things like information arbitrage, very low infrastructure, like you remember web van, we're going to invest in all of this, like very expensive capital intensive stuff. And then they plump, you know, or what was the, the pets.com just like boom yeah, out of business. wasn't, nobody was ready. The timing was wrong, but now that's exactly what Amazon's doing. They're buying fleets of trucks. They're opening up retail stores. They're doing all of this really hard bricks and bricks and mortar expensive stuff. And you're buying grocery stores for crying out loud. So he's like, all right. So we did the low hanging fruit stuff. And at what was Yelp, he's like, this is the end of, he didn't say this, but, but basically in so many words, but basically this is the end of Yelp type businesses and the beginning of DoorDash type businesses where the, I can see that. Yeah, right? Like the internet and mobile in particular and social make it possible for something like DoorDash to exist now. It couldn't have existed 10 years ago or 20 years ago. Only Yelp could have, you know what I mean? Like DoorDash wouldn't have worked. It would would have been a web van. Mm -hmm. But now that a startup can get into a space where, you know, you get uh, whatever, fresh groceries or you get a hot sandwich from Panera in 20 minutes using your phone and like this sort of... um, it's sort of like the physical world network is getting superimposed back onto the digital. It's, it's, it's hard to describe, but the idea being that the, that the internet air quotes, internet startup is getting more bricks and mortary. Yeah. There, there inner, there are businesses popping up on the internet. The purpose of which to is enhance our real world interactions. Yes, and to put facilitate new ones, even yeah, exactly right. I was going to say Airbnb and like Uber, where you've got this physical asset that's valuable, perhaps underused, so that you can sort of get some liquidity out of that by renting it to someone, or you know, mm-hmm. Uber your car, or Lyft, or whatever. Yeah, <clears throat> if anyone's interested, this particular microphone gets used about one hour a week, <laughs> and um, microphone. You know, we can we can talk about a, a rental agreement. <laughs> Mike share, yeah, yeah, Mike share. There you go. Oh man. Again, it probably exists. Like <laughs> probably <laughs> it will now. TM, TM, TM. So Yeah. Well, I mean there's shared creator spaces. So mm. you know. Right. That's true. Okay. So uh this I, I I could go on and on. It's super interesting. People should just watch it. But the point the point the reason I brought it up is because we mentioned blockchain and and his his premise is that the next, you know, and this is people have been saying this for five years, at least the next big thing is going to be blockchain. But the, the thing about it is, he's like, in 93, if you said the internet's going to be big, uh, and we were sitting around a table, we would have argued about, well, exactly how and what should it be called? It really shouldn't be called the internet, it should be called the internets. And well, should it be worldwide web or worldwide webs? And we'd be fighting about all this silly stuff. <laughs> and eventually that would all shake out and it would just become uh, the plumbing for you know, what at the time was basically a non-existent online market, you know, whatever, just, just to pick e-commerce online marketplace didn't exist. People wouldn't, there was no online, there was no web, there was no place to spend money online. And then it existed and most people didn't want to do it and whatever, 20 years go by. And now, you know, it's a significant portion of like black Friday sales. I think something like 65% of black Friday sales in the U S were online and something like like 39% of that was on mobile or whatever. So yeah, 0% of the Christmas shopping I've done this year has been at a physical store. Oh yeah. And I'm done Christmas shopping. 
<laughs> I'm not, but so wow. Well, okay. I, I, I will be as of tonight. Nice. So his his thing is like that's where blockchain is right now. It's like still people arguing about dumb stuff and you know like about pedantic things mm-hmm. and missing the big picture and being like, look, this is a distributed trust platform that. Uh, contains meaning. So like you'd get meaningful information on this distributed trust platform. So he's talking about how the pendulum's kind of been swinging back and forth. It was like closed in the AOL era. And then it swung to open in the email and web era. And then it Mm -hmm. swung back to closed in the Google Facebook era. And his prediction is that it's going to swing back to open in the, the blockchain era when you know, this, this innovation is going to, as you put it, shake the trees and all these new businesses are going to fall out that couldn't have existed before the concept without, without blockchain Mm -hmm. to give them that underlying layer of authenticity. Oh yeah. Yeah. Trust and meaning. So it's like, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's a topic that's right. Yeah. It's like, it's a major, it's a huge deal. Blockchain is a really big deal. Bitcoin, notwithstanding, it, like blockchain is a really big deal. It is a concept that did not exist before that is super interesting. Yeah, I think it's it's interesting that it hasn't gotten more hype's not the right word. Well, practical it, it applications, have, I think, is yeah, that's that's the thing. You don't really see any a lot of practical applications for it yet outside of cryptocurrency, um, right? Which is which is still, in my opinion, just weird. Hmm. Um, I think cryptocurrency is weird and that's all I'm going to say about that. But, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's interesting that like we don't see many practical applications of it yet. And it's, it's been around for a long time now. And I wonder why that is hmm. that we haven't seen more out of it. Yeah. You think it's, is it just that hard to understand? I think, I think it's, I mean, his Ben Evans uh, sort of stance is that we're getting to the hard stuff. We're getting hmm. to the, the stuff that, needs to be that uh you know software eating the world okay well we did all the easy stuff and now we're getting to the hard stuff and the hard stuff includes um includes a lot of physical you know atoms not bits mm-hmm. and it includes late adopters who distrust all of this stuff anyway and you know don't want to use anything digital or, or just reluctant users the laggards we're getting to stuff that operates at scales that are previously unheard of and that was kind of the point about the point he makes about Google and Facebook um, having all the ad revenue. He's like, yeah, well, they're going to start getting all the marketing revenue, too, because you don't you know what you would call marketing revenue in a Walmart. Like if you buy shelf space in a Walmart, that's categorized under marketing revenue, mm-hmm. a, mar- a marketing spend. But if you buy a spot on Amazon.com, that's considered an ad spend. But it's not. It's marketing because you're putting yeah. it on the shelf in Amazon. So. He's like, you know, so to look at just the ad spend is way too small because it's going to start taking all the marketing budget too, because as, because e-commerce has physical is the, is not physical. In other words, stuff that right. would, would be categorized as marketing spend in a bricks and mortar would, should still be considered marketing spend, or at least is going to come from the marketing right. spend. Right. For the virtual equivalent. Exactly. Thank you. Uh, so I thought that was really interesting. He blows the picture way, way up and is like, yeah. And, and like, what does that even mean? Like, what are the things? And he uses a few examples that are really, really good. Like, um, he's like, you know, back in the, uh, 10 years ago, you would use, um, uh, what's that? What's the, I can't think of it now. It's the Zillow. You would use Zillow to see how much you should probably charge for your house. Now mm-hmm. an open door will buy your house. 
so you see what I mean? Like they're getting into this tougher yeah. stuff where like they must hire someone to go out there and look at it. Right. right. So it's more complicated, but anyway, the point being that like to imagine that Google and Facebook and, and, or perhaps new startups or uh, even Netflix or, or Lyft or Uber is just going to be limited to the category that you imagine that they're disrupting is a mistake because they're going to disrupt things that are even outside of what would be considered that category. So that was super cool. And he was like, in the beginning, again, back to, to blockchain, just to wrap it up. Blockchain now is like the internet was in the early 90s, maybe even earlier, in like late 80s, where only super nerds talk about it or and basically they're all arguing. And mm-hmm. the, the business people and the marketers and all of those people, they're not there yet. They're nowhere near there yet. But when they get there, it's going to be this big pendulum swing. If they do, it'll be a big pendulum swing back to decentralized open. And that is a place where just explosive growth can happen because you don't need anybody's permission. Like in the early, you know, in the early days, you didn't need anybody's permission to make a website. Right. So what do we end up with? Billions of websites. And that created all kinds of interesting things. So he's optimistic. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully there'll be, you know, so I don't know. So maybe, maybe blockchain is the answer to the deep fakes problem. Maybe, Maybe it is. Yeah. Maybe next week we can talk about Amazon's one eighteenth scale fully autonomous cars that they're selling. I, I don't even know about that story. The story I know about in cars is that GM just continued the discontinued the Volt, which was a hybrid, oh, yeah. and they're gonna mm-hmm. supposedly I don't know if this is true or speculation. Go full electric. Full electric, yeah. Everybody's it looks like everybody's gonna go full electric. So because right now Tesla is the number one selling luxury manufacturer car manufacturer, which is crazy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. crazy that they're outpacing like Mercedes and BMW, BMW and, and Lexus yeah. and all of that. And maybe, you know, to be honest, we can talk about it next week. I'll get the numbers. Like in, in what way has that been measured? I'm not sure. I don't think it's total number of drivers. I think it's dollars, but, um, but, uh, there's, and there's another recent report that I noticed the headline, but haven't read it about, uh, a big company in Spain rolling out like a hundred thousand charging stations. So, yeah, isn't and Tesla is rolling out a lot more charging stations too themselves. I think. Yeah, we should. Yeah, next week we should do that. We should do a car. A, yeah. You know, one of our recurring themes is cars, because um, once you go electric, well, we can talk about it then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. Let's let's wrap it up there. I think. Do we miss anything? Uh, I don't know. I feel like you were trying to make points, and I was just sitting here making stupid jokes because it's been that kind of day. I'm sorry if I derailed everything. <laughs> Yeah, nobody wants to listen to me anyway. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, that's it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Kelly Shaver. And we hope you join us again next time on Terrifying Robot Dog. Bye. Bye. Bye.